Hello to all of you. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message out of the ultimate perfection, source, and manifestation of love, the very source of reality, the one true eternal God, known as Yahweh, Elohim in the original Hebrew, which is the ultimate reality the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And indeed, for God to be Almighty, he must be in three personages, just to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as the Father, in creation, in time and space as the Son, and filling all dimensions in creation and time and space, and beyond as the Holy Spirit in omnipresence. I am here to share with you that there is ultimate meaning and destiny and purpose for your lives. And for those of you that are new, check out my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book I have written by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And there is a lot of print that is highlighted in red, which are links to YouTube videos, very profound and amazing videos, highly confirming from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. This message is for those that have come to know the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal, as mentioned in John 17. How do I share these messages? I seek to speak as the oracles of God, because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. You'll have to pardon the fact that I've got a little bit of a tickly agitation in my lungs that causes a cough. It will eventually disappear, hopefully very quickly. So the word of God says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is referring to those that are gathering together around Jesus Christ to assemble together to meet with God in solemn assembly each week. That also involves great jubilation and praise as well, obviously, as well as great reverence and humility before God. When we gather together, every single member should be facilitated by the leadership and allowed by the leadership to share as the Spirit of God leads them to share without having to ask permission to use the mic, spontaneously out of the prompting of the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God rises in you, you do not want to quench the Spirit, but allow whatever word comes forth. You might not even know what word you're going to speak, you just know that you're supposed to sing out and you don't know the words of the song, but you're going to sing out a song that's spontaneously and made at the moment. Or it might be a prophetic word or a testimony or a prayer or whatever. But each member is to learn to allow God to speak through them. And to further explain this, it says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great humility and reverence and love for God, we are filled with His Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances coming from the Spirit of God that are prophetic, or in other words, we are coming forth with words that are speaking as the oracles of God. So I will seek to do that in this message. I will seek to give this message out of a heart set and a mindset of worship and what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God is to meditate on two chapters which I received by the casting of Lot before the Lord. As it says in Proverbs 16, 33, the casting of the Lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. <coughs> and of course it was practiced extensively in the Old Testament as well as by the early church in the choosing of the apostle to take the place of Judas that betrayed Christ. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravians, who even used it to choose their own wives. Yes, when it's done with great reverence, it's not divin, and you're walking right with God, don't you dare say it's divination. It is from God. And those that say that and falsely accuse those that are righteous and walking right with God are in serious error to have such a self-righteous judgment. It is something that facilitates seeking to speak what God is wanting to say by his spirit. And so I will share with you the two chapters I've received today. I only spent a half an hour meditating on them, and then I speak, which is the case again today. But before I do, I didn't choose this time a song. So I'm not sure what song we're gonna sing, but I'm going to seek right now while I'm talking from my playlist at loverealize.com to see if I can come across a song that is what God would have for this particular message today.
Today, I received from the Word of God, 1 Chronicles 17 and Psalms 101. The common theme between these two chapters is the place of God's habitation in our lives, in particular in relation to our own dwelling place in our home. 
It is clear that we are to treat our dwelling place as the sanctuary of God's presence and not to tolerate any evil in our own personal dwelling places and all the more in our own heart, in our own lives. So I do also want to share with you what I received yesterday because by the casting of Lot before the Lord, all of these chapters have had a very clear common theme bearing witness with each other by God's powerful providence. And so in John 15 and Matthew 21, which was yesterday, there was the clear theme between these two chapters, which is about the secret of abiding in God, the life and a life that is fruitful unto God. Both of them are about allowing the Lord to dwell in us. John 15, of course, is about the vine and abiding in the vine. <coughs> and so I'm going to begin to read some of these verses and just trust God by his spirit to begin to speak. What he is saying to the body of Christ at this particular time, as the word of God says in Matthew 25, blessed is that servant whom when his Lord find, cometh shall find doing so doing, what? Giving them their meat in due season. We are to seek to be speaking as the oracles of God, what God is wanting for a particular moment in time to each member of the body of Christ. And so this message is truly coming from God. It is the message for this particular time. So I want us to, first of all, look into some of the verses in John 15, 2 to 6, which says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. A very simple word, abide. When you're swimming, you cannot swim on the surface of the water because you're not abiding in the water properly. If you panic, you go under. But if you learn to glide into the water, and just let yourself float and move without panic, you're abiding in that water in a way that allows you to be able to survive. And not only survive, but to thrive. Because you will enter the place that you want to go to. You will be increased in your physical strength, etc. In the natural. The same is true in various things that we observe in life. There is always the need to abide. In a love relationship, 
It can grow stale over time. It can become routine because you've lost the secret of abiding in that love relationship with your husband or your wife. And the reason is because there hasn't been the freshness, the renewing, because one has become unthankful in a sense that you are no longer filled with the same appreciation and you tend to be veiled to see how wonderful your partner is. And what is the secret to an ongoing, vital, abiding love relationship? Love is very creative. And the tendency to lose creativity is because of allowing ourselves to become accustomed to one another. And the secret to overcoming being accustomed to one another, in other words, becoming somewhat encrusted in our heart instead of soft and malleable and pliable, the secret to that is to be always in a place of creativity, where we don't lose our creativity, where we learn from our heart to draw out of our heart, from the depths of our heart, the deepest expressions of appreciation and reciprocation of the beauty of this person before us that God has created as a gift in our lives. Of course, God is the very source of all beauty, of all good. And if we, first of all, do not have an abiding relationship with the Creator, who is the source of love and of beauty and of creativity, that will obviously then all the more result in that abiding relationship being undone. God is calling us as his people to repent of losing our abiding love, deep love relationship with God. And one of the signs of it is the lack of creativity that I see so much in most of the churches today. What do I mean by lack of creativity? I'll tell you. Here's one example. They sing the same songs over and over. Or they'll sing a song and it'll, they'll go on and sing the same song for a really long time, repeating the same phrase over and over and over. Where's your creativity? It's boring. You know, I've been to church services that think they've got revival and signs and wonders, and I find them very boring because they've lost their creativity in the songs. There's no depth or meaning in the words. They don't create their own songs and have their own songbook from their own local assembly, from the creativity of the members that they should be strongly facilitating to do that. And so they sing the same old songs over and over. And I've been to many charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches these days where that's what happens. And everyone's at the front. And there's a great lack of creativity also because there's not the facilitation of the gifts of the Spirit in the body where people are allowed and encouraged to freely, spontaneously express their love for God and one another and the gifts of the Spirit. God is calling his people to repent 
of failing to abide in a deep love relationship with him and to return to a first love relationship with him. Now, in Matthew 21, there is a very, very good chapter there that goes totally in confirmation with John 15. God is very good at picking chapters to preach from, believe me. And to have them bear witness with each other by the casting of Lot when done in great reverence before God out of a deep love relationship with God. And so I do want to turn to Matthew 21 here. Read a bit from Matthew 21. Because there are many things in here that are very important it, that are involved in entering into this deep abiding love relationship that God is seeking in our lives. Here the Lord is returning to Jerusalem on a donkey, yes. It says here an ass and a colt with her. So a younger donkey and an older donkey coming together. It's only in Matthew it mentions that detail. And he says to go into the village and there, there they will be. And if they ask why you're taking them, the Lord has need of them. Don't worry about it. It was all for no one. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come in to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. <coughs> And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord comes to our gatherings together around him, is he going to find that we are a house of prayer? When the Son of Man cometh back, will he find faith upon the earth, the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God described in Ephesians chapter 4? A faith that perseveres to break through into creativity, into a greater and greater love relationship with God? That perseveres through trials? That is an overcoming faith? A people that are strong and bold and fearless love warriors for him? Or a bunch of people that all need to be continually treated like they're hospital patients? Why is it that churches still are having church the way they always used to before all of these terrible trials came upon the earth? such as the COVID pandemic and all the mandates that were so terrible and that allowed 
the misuse of power, the people to become dictators and do terrible things and persecute their own people. I don't need to tell you all the details of how that's been happening around the world, do I? Unless you're listening and don't know where the true news sources are these days. You'll soon find that I have links from both of my websites at loverealize.com and ultimatemeaning.com that tells you the truth from valid sources of the news. God is calling us as his people to become his house of prayer again. God is not wanting us to fall into this old order that allows our love for him to become stale. And we should never limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from fully inhabiting the local assembly. How come you have your pre-service prayer meetings? Why don't you just make your church service a prayer meeting? Why do not people just get on their faces before God and become more conscious of God in our midst than of the program that's going to happen at the front? Why are we starting without the... If Christ was to come into our meeting, would we just be there in a trivial way, yakking and talking with each other? And not in reverence and awe and consciousness of whose presence we're in, in great humility? We should learn to come into the genuine fear of God with great reverence and humility and be in awe of whose presence we're in. And out of that, there's sensitivity to pray in the Spirit. Sensitivity to one another. And so one prays out and everyone agrees with them. That one that prays out as the Spirit moves them to pray out. And another prays out. Another prays out. First, we're all just praying personally to ourselves. And then out of that prayer time arises worship in song, in praise. And in that worship in song and praise, the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate. Prophetic word, a testimony, a spontaneous song that is creative, creative, etc., etc. Beautiful song with depth and meaning come forth. And the words that are coming forth are confirming what the pastor already had been preparing under the leading of the Holy Spirit. If he's sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it would bear witness. It would be, I've seen that happen in a church I used to attend many times where everything would blend together from the words that were coming forth, not knowing what each other was going to share. And it would even confirm the message all the more. That's rare these days. It shouldn't be rare. We need to repent of not of limiting the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly. God wants to come down in the fullness of his glory in our midst. He wants to dwell among us in a fullness and it comes out of the genuine fear of God and reverence for God and for one another when we allow the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts because we break up the hardness of our hearts 
and we come into a first love relationship with him. We read here that Christ healed the blind and the lame, came to him in the temple and he healed them. And of course, the chief priests and the scribes saw all these wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were sore displeased. It was like their little kingdom was being threatened. They're the ones that run all of this. They're the ones that everyone should be looking up to, not you. That's the way, that was what was in their heart. <coughs> Anyhow, Christ leaves, goes out of the city of Bethany. And then he returns in the morning and he sees a fig tree in the way. And he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. Presently, the fig tree withered away. And of course, we read about a branch that doesn't abide in the vine in John 15, that it will be cast forth because it hasn't borne fruit. And if we are not abiding in a deep love relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're not living a life of prayer and a fellowship with him and walking in holiness and in purity, we are in danger of being the branch that is cast forth of having a life that is not fruitful. And God will seek to purge us and to try us, to bring us to a place where we turn to him with all our heart, that our life might be fruitful. But if we still resist, then we are in danger, great danger for, for the rest of our, for our very ultimate destiny, which is going to go on forever and ever and ever, of being cast into outer darkness. <clears throat> into a place that's far cry from all the blessings of heaven and his glory and majesty. Christ goes on to say, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it would obey you. Faith is a grain of mustard seed. Now, he doesn't mention the mustard seed aspect of things in this particular passage. But that has to do with humility. It has to do with not being puffed up. It has to do with the fact that genuine faith comes out of the genuine reciprocation of who God is, which cannot birth anything but honesty. And with that, honesty comes humility so that you are not partaking of anything less than the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. Of course, they questioned his authority to do all of these things. And I can't go into everything that's in Matthew 21 here. But he goes on to emphasize, but what think he? A certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, answered and said, I go, sir. And went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? Obviously, the first 
And so he said, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Because they <laughs> repented at the preaching of John the Baptist, but you didn't, basically is what he says. It's all about fruitfulness in this chapter. Then there's the parable of the vineyard and servants, they're entrusted to look after it. And when they, he sends his servant to get the fruit of the vineyard, they keep on stoning them or persecuting them or killing them. And finally they say, this is there, come let us kill him. And so it is that the very ones that were seeking in the beginning to bring forth the kingdom of God, built their own kingdom and felt so threatened that they crucified Christ, who rose from the dead and will return to bring forth justice. And he says this, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder, which means your utter destruction. Yes, we need to allow Christ to break us. We need to fall on him and let him be Lord of our lives and be broken from our own ways. And if we rebel and we do not want him to rule over our lives because we choose our own independent ways, we will be ground to powder. So that is John 15 and Matthew 21. And that goes along with what I received today, which was 1 Chronicles 17 and Psalms 101. <clears throat> and in both of these chapters, there is the common theme between them. It's about the place of God's habitation in our lives and in particular in relation to our own dwelling places I mentioned. And so let's read some of these verses. Here's what King David says in Psalms 101. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. <coughs> Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, Psalm 101, 5 to 8, him will I cut off. Him that hath an eye look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. So we that are the servants of Christ will never tolerate people that are deceptive and proud in our midst. We want a, a place of great reverence, of great humility that will expose 
every wrong spirit of deception and pride so that he can't stand in the presence of God. You can be sure at Azusa Street as they humbled themselves greatly before God that the enemy was in their midst and would try things, but we saw that God's hand, if you read the church history about that, would powerfully judge these people without them doing a thing. Someone would walk out and be instantly killed by the wrath of God through an accident or whatever because they defied the living God. And then in 1 Chronicles 17, 9 to 10, it says, Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more, neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as, as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee an house. So this is all about God's dwelling place and about our own dwelling place being the habitation of God. God is saying to his people in this time, I want you to enter into a first love relationship, a vital abiding love relationship with me that will be such that you'll never want to go back the other way again. You can allow the fullness of the headship of Christ to inhabit your local assemblies. I've written a book on it. And I highly encourage you to purchase that book because it has many practical suggestions of what you can do in your congregation to not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from your local assemblies. God is calling for a new order in the churches which is under his headship and not our own ways in these last days. He is calling for the church to repent of the things that have hardened them from that love relationship. The idols of the gods of amusement, such as watching hours of sports, spending your time on material things, and other pleasures of this life, instead of time seeking God and putting first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your lives. It is time to awaken to a new order under the fullness of the headship of Christ in our lives personally and corporately. That is the message that God is giving at this particular time. Thank you for listening to this message. And remember, I just have come out with my new book, which is Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which is all on the afterlife, 367 pages in the print form. You can get it in Kindle as well. There's a few mistakes I've found in it, but I will be putting up a more revised versions with those few mistakes here and there in the book removed. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.